You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Ruth chapter 3. We continue on into our, our, uh, our time of studying Ruth in Advent Advent scene, even seen in the Old Testament that the Old Testament tells us and gives us pictures of what the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, was going to be like. We've seen so far in Ruth chapter 1, we were introduced to a man named Elimelech, and Elimelech moved his family from the country of Moab, to, or from Judah in Israel, down to Moab because of famine. And while they were there in Moab, they uh, had their two sons, Malon and Kilion, married Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah, not Oprah, but Orpah. And they got married there, and they didn't have any children. Well, tragedy strikes this family, because first Elimelech dies, then the two sons die, and so Naomi, the wife of Elimelech, and her daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, are left with no husbands and no children. Well, famine struck Moab, and so Naomi decides to go back home to Bethlehem and Judah with her two daughter-in-laws. She encouraged her daughter-in-laws to go back to their own people because she would not be able to produce children for them to marry, to have descendants so they could be taken care of. Well, Orpah took Naomi up on the offer. Ruth stayed with Naomi, and she made a covenant with Naomi that she was going to stay by her side. Ruth and Naomi arrived there in Bethlehem. Naomi walks into Bethlehem. The people of Bethlehem are excited to see her, but she says, don't call her any any longer Naomi, but Mara, which means bitter. And she said, the Almighty, I left here full, and the Almighty has brought me back empty. Then in Ruth chapter 2, Naomi has a relative on her husband's side. His name is Boaz. Now, Boaz is a really interesting guy. He's the family's kinsman redeemer, which means in this day and age, he would have been able to marry uh, a descendant or a, a, a wife that had no husband and able to have children take care of her. And so Ruth began gathering wheat, grain there in the field that Boaz owned. And it said in verse 3 of chapter 2 that Ruth just happened to be gathering wheat and grain there in that field. And we know that that wasn't just happened to be because we see God's sovereignty in all of it. And that the theme of Ruth is God's providential care for his people Ruth began gathering the grain there. Boaz notices her. They have lunch together. Boaz provides for her and food and having his servant shake out grain uh, of the wheat stalks so the grain would fall on the ground, and she collected a lot of grain. So we see here in Ruth chapter 2, we saw how Ruth and Boaz began to come together, that God and his sovereignty is bringing Ruth and Boaz together. And we saw that Boaz is the kinsman redeemer, and he's an Old Testament picture of what the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, was going to be, that Jesus was going to be the kinsman redeemer. Now, you've heard me say that word kinsman redeemer about three times in the last couple of minutes. 
And the key term that we must remember as we study Ruth is kinsman-redeemer. It's a Hebrew word, goel, which means to redeem or buy back. The responsibility of the kinsman-redeemer in this situation, Boaz, was to avenge the death of a murdered relative, marry a widow of a family member who had no children and have children with her. He would be obligated to buy back family land that had been sold because of debt or buy back a family member that had been sold as a slave in care of a needy relative. So we see some of the responsibilities that in this day and age, the kinsman redeemer would have had. Well, after Ruth had begun gathering grain in Boaz's wheat field, we get to chapter three. And between chapters two and three, about two months have passed, okay? So don't think as we begin reading here in Ruth three that this is like the very next day. About two months have passed, all right? So let's, keep, let's start reading in Ruth chapter three, and let's look at verse one. We have a lot of ground to cover this morning, and so we're going to move fast, so stay with me, all right? Verse one. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Now, isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants this, this, eve, this evening? He'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfumed oil, wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. So Ruth said, Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. So two months have gone by since Ruth was harvesting wheat in Boaz's field and Ruth and Naomi, their lives have improved the last couple months. They're much better months because they're much better off because of Boaz's kindness. Remember, he provided a way for Ruth to glean and pick up plenty of grain. He even give, gave Ruth extra grain for both herself and Naomi. So the end of the harvest was coming. And now the future of Ruth and Naomi would have been even more uncertain over the, over the winter months. And so because of her love for Naomi, Naomi comes up with a plan for Ruth to redeem. Now, let's stop for just a second. Naomi is not being manipulative here. There's no ulterior motive by Naomi. She had been bitter, but we see a glimpse of Naomi beginning to heal from her bitterness of the loss of her husband because her eyes have her t- because she's taken her eyes off of herself and onto Ruth and her health and her well-being. That's a sign of an individual healing from bitterness. They take their eyes off of themselves and begin putting their eyes on the on the other people. Naomi tells Ruth to go and to bathe herself, then to anoint herself. Now that's really significant because it refers to Ruth putting on perfumed oil, olive oil. This is is significant because in this day and age, if you had lost a husband, if a woman had lost a husband, she would not wear perfume because she was mourning. So she would not have worn this perfumed oil while she was mourning her deceased husband. So for her to put on perfume, for Ruth to put on perfume, it would be her signaling that her mourning was over and she's available for marriage. Naomi tells her to put on uh, different clothes. See, Ruth would have been wearing 
her mourning clothes. You wore clothes to mourn the loss of your husband. So she would have put on normal clothes. She's signifying my mourning for the death of my husband is over. Naomi then instructs Ruth to go to the threshing floor. Now remember, Boaz owns a wheat field. And the threshing floor for wheat would be back in town near the city gate of Bethlehem. The wheat fields would be outside of the city. So the men would have to bring the wheat to the city threshing floor. So they would bring the wheat to the threshing floor. This was a place that many, many people would come to. It was a place where important business could take place. They sometimes would even have worship there at the threshing floor. And so since we've realized that Boaz is a wealthy man, it's possible that Boaz owned one of the threshing floors in Bethlehem, and he would rent it out to wheat field owners. So this time of wheat harvesting, this is intense work. It required all able-bodied men and women to participate. The, fr- the threshing floor would look like this. It was a flat, a flat surface of a hard rock and a place where wind would blow. So the unwanted parts of the wheat would blow away as it was beaten over the rock. You heard demon Jesus would talk about his disciples, about the separation of the wheat and the chaff. This is what they would do here on this rock. And so then Naomi does something very, very interesting and almost odd. Naomi then instructs Ruth to lay at the feet of Boaz. Now, this was a very risky move because this was a proposal, a wedding proposal. And in this time period, a woman did not propose marriage to a man. Most often, marriages were arranged. And for Ruth to do this, to lay at the feet of Boaz in the middle of the night, she ran the risk of being accused of sexual immorality or of being a prostitute. It's often some theologians like to debate whether or not Ruth and Boaz had immoral relations that night, but we can know and have confidence that nothing shady went on here. Because when the Hebrew language is translated, it says that Ruth uncovered Boaz's feet. She did not uncover herself at his feet, but his feet. I also believe that God would not, put, would not have put his hand of blessing on this situation if there had been an immoral relationship that had occurred. I, so Ruth laying down at Boaz's feet was not her performing an act. It was her performing an act of humility, not sexuality. So let's understand that as we keep going. Look at verse 6. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley, and she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. So he asked, who are you? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your, your wing, for you are a family redeemer. So we see Ruth goes, does as Naomi instructed. After Boaz had eaten a good meal, maybe got a little tipsy, He fell asleep after a hard day's work. Ruth then comes in in the middle of the night, uncovers his feet, and lays down at his feet. 
Sometime during the night, sometime around midnight, Boaz turns over and he sees a woman lying at his feet and he's startled. As you can imagine, because we just talked about the cultural significance of a woman laying at the, ma- at the feet of a man. So he's startled. He asks, who are you? She says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And the word wings, if you have maybe the ESV in front of you, I'm reading from the CSB. It's translated cloak or covering in, or in others. This is not a request for warmth. This is a request for marriage. The gesture of covering the bride with the groom's cloak is it's even found in Ezekiel 16.8. It's a symbolic statement by the husband that he's going to take care of and provide a, for his wife. We can think of a mother bird shielding her little baby birds with her wings from the rain. So ultimately, what Ruth is doing, she's asking a request for marriage by him, the kinsman redeemer. Let's keep going. Verse 10. Then he said, May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before, because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Yes, it is true, I am a family redeemer. But there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight in the morning. If he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. Now this is really interesting. We got to break this down. I know there's a lot of historical context for walking through this morning. Ruth makes her request of marriage. We see Boaz's response. Well, first off the bat, he's willing to marry her. And this shows incredible commitment from Boaz because Ruth has nothing to offer him. She's a Moabite woman. We talked about the cultural significance of that. His reputation would have been on the line because of her being a Moabite. He's also able. In fact, he's the ideal candidate to be the kinsman redeemer in this situation because in verse 1 of chapter 2, Boaz is described as a worthy man, which meant he was a mighty man. He's a man of strength, power, ability. In a military setting, he would have been a warrior. Boaz is a man's man, so he meets all the qualifications. But there's a problem. There's a redeemer that's closer in the family line than Ruth. Let's keep reading. So she lay down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he told Ruth, bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went into town. When she went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, what ha- she, she asked her, what happened, my daughter? Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. She said, he gave me these six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest until he re- resolves this today. So we see a little bit of conflict. There is a redeemer that's closer to Elimelech's bloodline than Boaz. So we have a little bit of conflict in this romantic story. Haven't you ever noticed 
that when you watch a romantic movie or you read a romantic story, there's always some kind of conflict that threatens to break up the relationship. Haven't you seen that? I mean, you have this guy and girl, they may get in some, into some kind of fight. She's going to leave. She goes to the airport to leave. And what does he do? He runs to the airport to confess his love. On her way to the airport, uh, he realizes he loves her. He can't live without her. So he tries to drive as fast as he can to get to the airport. He gets stuck in traffic. So he gets out of his car in traffic. He starts running to the airport. He starts running on top of cars. He gets to the airport. The plane is on the runway. So he runs out onto the runway. He stops the plane and he gets on the plane and confesses his love to her and they get married, right? Haven't you seen that ridiculousness on movies? We love in romantic stories, there's got to be conflict that keeps someone apart. In Romeo and Juliet, Juliet, it's their parents. And gone with the wind, it's the Civil War. And who got mail? They can't figure out who's who on the internet. So in every love story, you have some conflict. So we've got some conflict in this love story. There's a redeemer that's closer to the bloodline of Elimelech. And so he's first in line to marry Ruth. And remember, we talked about this cultural practice of Leverite marriage. It's a type of marriage in which the brother of a deceased man was obligated to marry his brother's widow if she didn't have any children. He'd be required to have children with her. But remember, Naomi doesn't have that. And so they would go down into the kinsman redeemer. There was somebody that was qualified to do this. He's a closer relative than Boaz. And he's going to have the first opportunity to redeem Ruth. And I'm not going to make you wait till next week. So let's keep reading Ruth 4. We're going to read this entire chapter. Stay with me. Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. Soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. Of course, right? Boaz had spoken about, uh, that, that Boaz had spoken about, Boaz said, come over here and sit down. So he went down and sat down. He went over and sat down. Then Boaz took 10 men of the town's elders and said, sit here. And they sat down. He said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem, redeem it, do it. But if you do, if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it. And I am next after you. I want to redeem it, he answered. So Boaz has a little bit of strategy here, doesn't he? It's almost like reading the book, The Art of the Deal. And Boaz is better than Donald Trump at making a deal here because he goes back to this closer redeemer. And what does Boaz make this situation about? Real estate. He says, all right, so there's this portion of land that Elimelech owned and Naomi's wanting to sell it. You have the first right to buy this piece of land, this piece of property. What is Boaz doing? He's testing this other redeemer. He's saying, are your motives in the right place? Because there's a catch. Let's keep going. Verse 5. 
Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabitess. Isn't that terrible? Acquire Ruth the Moabitess. Not very romantic, but it's going to get better. The wife of the deceased man to perpetuate the man's name on his property. The Redeemer replied, I can't redeem it myself or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my, my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. At an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This is the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. So the Redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, buy back the property yourself. So Boaz tells this closer Redeemer, he says, okay, you can buy Naomi's land, but if you do, you're going to have to marry Ruth the Moabitess. He throws that in. Ruth the Moabitess. And the Redeemer replies, he says, this is going to ruin my inheritance. Now, we don't know why. It could have been a stipulation in the family will and in his inheritance that he could not marry a non-Jew. We don't know what the situation was, but this was not going to be good for him, so he's backing out of the deal. He says, you go right ahead and do it. And so they did something kind of that might be a funny practice to us, but remember, there wasn't a lot of paper around. There was not a notary republic to notarize the deal. And so what they would do, they would exchange a sandal to show the legal binding of the contract. And so that's what we see here. So they exchanged sandals, and he says, buy back the property yourself. Verse 9, Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything, everything that belonged to Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. All the people who are at the city gate, including the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Ephrathah, that your name well be well known in Bethlehem. May your house become, become like the house of Perez, the son of Tamar, bore to Judah, because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He slept with her, and the Lord granted conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you is better than seven sons has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became his nanny. The neighbor said, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. So we see that Boaz follows through on his responsibility on the kinsman redeemer. Him and Ruth get married. They have a child. And all of a sudden, what was a hopeless situation in Ruth chapter 1 has now to turned to a situation of hope, of peace, of glory. Now, we talked about this at the beginning as we started this series in Ruth. Boaz is a picture 
of a better Redeemer that was going to come and do the exact same thing. There was going to be a kinsman Redeemer that was going to come to bring hope in a hopeless situation. There is going to be a kinsman Redeemer that was going to come and go and provide spiritually, not just physically, but spiritually for His people. There was going to be a kinsman redeemer that was going to come and go to very great lengths to redeem and buy back his people. And that kinsman redeemer was going to be a Messiah. And his name is Jesus. So what we see here throughout all the book of Ruth, we see, yes, a romantic story, a love story, but we see even a better love story a sign of what was going to come. That God was going to come and redeem and buy His people back from their hopeless situation of sin. That God was going to provide eternal security for His people. God was going to go to great lengths. He wasn't going to just meet with another kinsman redeemer and work out a deal and exchange sandals. Oh no, He was going to die to redeem his people back. And then he was going to rise again to give resurrection to his people so that that his people would be a new covenant people, that they would be his bride, the church. And so we see here in Ruth 1 through 4 how Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. We see the links that Jesus came to die, to offer forgiveness of sins, to buy us back from bondage and slavery from our sin and provide a love relationship with God like no other love relationship. We would be called his bride, his pride and his joy because he's our kinsman redeemer. And so there's some responses we can have to this. See, if you're a believer this morning, what can happen this time of year, we can get greatly distracted. We can get greatly distracted. We can make Christmas a thing that's just nothing more than about family, and family is good. We can make Christmas about Christmas's past and the wonderful memories we had years ago. We can make Christmas about proving that we're good people by being generous and giving gifts. And all all of these things are not bad, but they can leave us empty. And when we make Christmas about something that it's not, we will walk away empty and lacking. But what Christmas really is about, and I know I sound like Linus on the Charlie Brown Christmas special, but what Christmas really is about, it's about kinsman redeemer. About a Goel who was going to come, a mighty warrior, a worthy redeemer to redeem his people back. And so if you're a believer this morning, this should really turn Christmas into a time of absolute worship, of saying thank you for redeeming me, for giving me hope, security, 
in a love relationship. You may be here this morning and you're just beginning to discover what is completely offered to you. That Jesus is your kinsman redeemer. He wants to buy you back. He wants to make you his own. So believe. See who Jesus is. And see that there is a redeemer. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for being our kinsman redeemer. Though we have really nothing to offer you, you don't need us. We're not particularly lovable. Yet you, as our kinsman redeemer, just like Boaz, went to great lengths to save us, to redeem us. So I pray, Jesus, that you would imprint on our hearts and our souls the reality that you are our kinsman redeemer and that we owe you so much that we really truly are broken and empty people. We mess up. We make bad decisions. We're sinful yet you still redeem this back. And we say thank you. I pray, Jesus, if there's, nothing, if there's anyone here that has never realized the reality that you are their kinsman redeemer, that you have offered salvation and redemption to them, I pray that you would show them what you have offered as their redeemer and that they would believe and they would follow you. And all these things, we say thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for being our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com.